Baseball is back again, but what about the minor leagues? We have no idea what's gonna happen with them. You see, I don't know what's gonna go on with the minors. So we have a guest to help us figure it out. I'm the mouth of the South. This is the beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. This is downtown sports, where sports come home. I'm gonna hand it right off to beast to get us started very quickly. We have a very special guest another broadcaster of a tri-state hometown team. We just keep bringing them on, don't we, Beast? Introduce yes, our do. newest guest. Yes, we do, John. And I'm pleased to welcome someone that really helped me tremendously about two years ago. He is the voice for the Yankees AAA affiliate, the Scranton Rail Riders in Moosick, Pennsylvania. As the minor leagues are now beginning to begin again following the COVID pandemic. We are pleased to welcome Mr. Adam Giardino, play-by-play -play voice of the Scranton Rail Riders. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you. It's been a long time, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah it's awesome to, uh, to reconnect with you. It's awesome to, uh, to be welcome here on this podcast. Let's begin with the minor leagues. It's been a very telling year for minor league baseball. COVID-19 came in March. Everything was shut down. If anything got impacted as badly it was minor league baseball. The key component, not having fans and just seeing everything get canceled. How big of an impact has COVID-19 had on the minor leagues this past year? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been hard. And I've been in the minors now for a decade. I spent uh, a year with the Lakewood Blue Claws in 2012. I was an intern with the Pawtucket Red Sox for two years in 2010 and 11, and then graduated college with the Yankees AA affiliate in Trenton, New Jersey, the Trenton Thunder for five years. They, because of COVID and because of a number of things reshuffling the minors, they're no longer an affiliated team, despite having a, a history of two decades of success of drawing fans and and hosting future big leaguers. And the last couple of years I've been with the, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. And just today, uh, you know, you, I'm, I'm busy doing games, uh, college athletics. So I'm also doing games for a lot of division one universities throughout New England. And I sort of lose track of time, I think as we all have during this pandemic, but on Twitter today, a number of teams in the minors were tweeting out, hey, it's been 500 days since our last home game. And it's just stunning to have that number put out there. And for any team, and we'll get into this more, but uh, moving forward into the 2021 baseball season, any team that is currently pegged below AAA, I don't know what that answer is going to be. I don't know when that Band-Aid, that seal is finally going to be ripped off because it sounds like from everything we're being told that the big leagues and AAA players are going to have their own spring training and then double A on down, it's going to be a separate staggered spring training to prevent the spread of uh, the coronavirus. Hmm. So to follow up real quick, what have they told you about your particular affiliate, the Yankees AAA affiliate? What are they telling you about what's happening with you guys? You're going to Tampa, right? But um, any news on your particular team, what's happening with your guys and the people that you're going to be broadcasting? Right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, w I wish I had more information for my own personal sake. And this isn't, you know, me, me protecting uh, the Yankees brand or anything like that. I think there's just a whole lot that's not out there right now. I mean, from, you know, behind the curtain in minor league baseball, normally front offices are given the schedule for the next season sometime in August. And then usually they release it late August, early September to the fans so that fans can start circling. Oh, we've got, 
these firework dates and we've got bobblehead giveaways on this night and theme jerseys on this night and just to get fans excited. Um, that has not happened yet. Front offices across minor league baseball do not have schedules and we're knocking on the door of February. So even in the AAA level, uh, they have a lot to figure out. There was a letter that went out for the Cactus League with Arizona being hesitant to uh, have players playing spring training games there and having a flood of people based on the, the virus numbers. So uh, there's a lot that needs to be sorted out. And uh, even for the International League, we have had um, 14 teams in the past, but based on the restructuring of the minors, we've added four new teams, basically. We've gone up to 16 in the, uh, the International League where there are teams like Iowa um, that's been added, Nashville, Memphis. So there are going to be some interesting wrinkles to this that this schedule already was going to look so different from what we would have come to expect that just the timing and what we, you know, the fluidity of everything right now, we don't have many answers. And I wish I could give you an answer because I'd love one myself. Talking with Adam Giardino, play-by-play voice for the Yankees AAA affiliate, the Scranton Rail Riders. I want to dive in money-wise, economic-wise, how, mm. how badly the impact of COVID-19 has been. The minor leagues generate much of their revenue and, and sales through fans, through their special events. How much money roughly has the minor leagues lost just this past year due to the pandemic? Well, uh, every team that has remained solvent, whether it's through those um, the loans that you could get through the government, through the coronavirus relief fund. Um, some teams were able to take advantage of that, which is great because these are all franchises that even the largest minor league baseball team has maybe 30 front office staff members. And that's on the, the larger end of the spectrum. Very often, if you're thinking of single A teams, sometimes that number is close to single digits where they only have a handful of um, full-time staff. And then obviously when you go to a game, you've got ushers, you've got the ticket takers, you've got all the game day staff that go with it. So uh, that's from a personnel standpoint that for me, for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, I have not um, been proverbially on furlough. And I, I, the, the staff, the front office staff for the Rail Riders, because they don't have any income being generated, we've gone down to a skeleton staff. And so we are one of those teams that would be in the 20s in terms of full-time staff. And now we're, we're currently operating in single digits um, until any of those questions can be answered, until there's a schedule, until they can start selling tickets, and still there's a light, until there's a light at the end of the tunnel with any sort of clarity with the, the, um, the, the vaccine. That's going to be a huge, huge part of this where – I think when you look at minor league baseball, what separates it from uh, all these other leagues, the NBA, the major league baseball, NFL, you can have empty stadiums and TV revenue is still going to prop up the league and salaries and whatnot. There is no TV deal in minor league baseball, as you described perfectly, uh, Jonathan, that everything, every dollar that's made through minor league baseball to help support the operating costs is made through people being at the ballpark. And basically to to cover the cost of a single game day if uh, most teams you know i guess the rail riders again they're they're towards one end of the spectrum because they're triple a and they draw thousands of fans but if we have a a bad monday night where it's cold and rainy and it's april and it's a school night um and we don't get maybe two thousand people in the ballpark i'd say that's a rough estimate 
Um, the rail riders lose money on that night based on operating costs. So, you know, they make up for it when they get 10,000 fans in the ballpark who are spending fistfuls of money on a, on a perfect July fireworks night. But there, there is that line of, did we make a profit tonight? Did we not? It's not a, it's not guaranteed that just because there's a game that a profit's being made. Um, so I say all of that to say that for financially, um, the fact that there are games being played, it's not like when you turn on an NBA game to empty arenas that things are still getting done because um, there, there not only needs to be games being played, but there needs to be a couple thousand fans in the ballpark to make the business sustainable moving forward. Talking with Adam Giardino, he is the voice of the Rail Riders, the Yankees AAA affiliate. Now, the way you talked about minor league baseball operating, it pretty much works like a small business. So my question is, what about the employees of this small business, these players, the AA and single A player affiliates? What are teams doing with these prospects? I mean, they're signed. They're obviously signed to deals and signed to these teams being developed by these teams. What's happening with these players now that the minor leagues are so uncertain? Right. I, I mean, that's, that is a huge question mark. And some of the biggest names in Major League Baseball free agency have not been signed. So uh, the trickle-down effect of what that means for a 27-year-old relief pitcher who's thrown 100 innings in his big league career with moderate success, who's trying to land with a new organization for the first time, I would hate to be that person. That is an incredibly difficult situation where they're, they're a valuable piece to an organization and their in years past their contract would have been signed months ago um, to a pretty reasonable one-year deal that you get to sign with the Yankees after spending your whole career with the Cubs let's say so um, I, I, again there I, I think that we can look to the big leagues and what contracts aren't signed right now as a pretty uh, pretty eye-opening indicator of what that likely means for these minor league free agents um, you know guys that are guys that are still on their rookie contracts when you sign when you get drafted out of the big leagues you've got a four or five or six year deal depending on how it gets structured so a lot of the younger players just sort of keep getting swept up in the the predisposed economics of of the bargaining agreement but it's those guys who are taking their first steps out of their rookie contracts that are essential to filling out a major league baseball organization and providing depth for a team that over 162 game season you need to roll out not a 25-man roster but you end up seeing 50 names go up and down to the big leagues and uh, those are the guys that can be the difference between winning or losing as we've seen with the New York Yankees and when a Giovanni Urshela goes up to the big leagues and provides huge value and wasn't expected to but he was, he was a, a guy that had been thrown from the Indians to the Blue Jays and back to the Yankees. And um, those are the guys right now that can make huge impacts in the big leagues. And they're not even getting a sniff right now. Their agents are probably waiting for the phone to ring because it's just so uncertain. Absolutely. Speaking of the minors, I want to go a little more into the really what COVID's done to kind of shuffle everything around. We've seen several minor league affiliates that we knew and loved, the Staten Island Yankees, they had to disband. We've had to see them realign, become a – basically the – they've relocated to Tampa for their single A, the Hudson Valley Renegades, which used to be a single A. Now they became an A+. That's kind of new. I've never, I've never seen that before. 
just talk about like the realignment that's been happening this year with the minor leagues and how many teams really have we seen kind of get shuffled around so far during this past year? The previous existence of of the minor league hierarchy for better or for worse was 160 teams. um, And that's been pared down to 120. And uh, what it means is that there is, as you mentioned, there's triple A, then there's double A below that. There's high A after that, and then there's single A. And those four levels had always existed. So for the New York Yankees, the example you cited, it was Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, it was Trenton, it was Tampa was high A, and then it was Charleston was single A, and then Staten Island was high, was short season A below that. Mm. Um, and then below that, there was Pulaski down in Virginia, which was rookie ball. There were Gulf Coast League teams. The Yankees had two of those below that. They have Dominican Summer League teams. So – a, a 16-year-old getting signed out of the Dominican Republic um, could very well have gone through seven different levels of the minors before arriving in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre as a 24-year-old, let's say. So it's a, it's a long path, and the Major League Baseball, they, they've decided that they want to eliminate a lot of the – trim the fat in a way. But I, I think the consensus across baseball – for those of us who aren't millionaire, billionaire owners of teams who are trying to make every dollar they can in profit, um, it's going to affect the product that's on the field. And I say that because how many NBA number one picks go on to be uh, perennial all-stars? I- I'm guessing 75%. It's a pretty good rate that you would hit on number one picks or number one, two, or three picks that they're Maybe half of those top three picks go on to have at least an all-star appearance, and most of them turn out to be very, very valuable. So the point that I'm making there is the ability to project talent out of high school or out of college, it's very doable in sports like the NBA. And then you see it being a little more difficult in the NFL, where there's a little more, again, hit or miss on quarterbacks that are taking top three in the draft. Well, baseball, I mean – on one hand, you can count the number of impact number one overall picks. Ken Griffey Jr., Chipper Jones. I mean, those are the two in the modern era that were that have gone on to success. And so that is why you need a Gulf Coast one and two team to see with these guys that you sign out of college, out of high school, what they're capable of. Um, so I think it's doing a disservice to the quality of baseball moving forward that when we get to the we're going to lose a lot of talent before it ever has a chance to develop into quality big leaguers. I think that we're going to have somebody who does, who if they had been born five years earlier would have become a successful big leaguer, but now they're a 20th round pick out of old dominion. They never get a sniff at really getting a chance to crack an organization and uh, they've got to go on and find a career doing sales somewhere. And I think that's a real shame. Um, But that's that's what Major League Baseball has decided on. And I don't and none of that has to do with the coronavirus. Those um, those decisions were being made behind the scenes before. Yeah, I was about to ask that question. Was COVID really the reason or was that just the excuse that Rob Manford just went? Yes, we're going to cut all of this now. Uh, yes. I mean, I'd love to have had his office bug to see if that was the exact reaction, but it's, uh, I'm sure it, it was going in his head, something like that. I mean, it just, 
the agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball was expiring and they wanted to consolidate and it was their prerogative to do so. And the Minor League Baseball franchises just don't have that much leverage. And that was that was just what at the end of the day, Major League Baseball gets to call the shots and they were willing to uh, put Minor League Baseball back into a corner and make some demands and against what Minor League Baseball would have liked to have done. That was their only that was the only recourse that they had was just to go along with it. And one more thing, I've seen the minor leagues now starting to align with like independent leagues, like teams like the Long Island Ducks or the Houston Skip Jackets or whatever they're called. uh, (laughs) Now affiliated with the Houston Astros. You're seeing major league baseball pick up like independent affiliate teams and now make them like sources for players that happened last year during COVID. How much more of that do you expect to see? I think that that is what is, uh, that is the part of this that I'm still really curious about. I mentioned I spent five years with the Trenton Thunder who had been a longtime double A affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. And this year they're being put in something called the MLB draft league, which is going to basically be a showcase for really top flight college talent that will be eligible, will be draft eligible the following summer, or even in some cases that upcoming draft. So I'm going to be interested to see how that works. It's a six team league. It's based in uh, mostly New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And then there's one team down in West Virginia and all teams that lost their affiliations this year, they were all under that minor league baseball umbrella last year, but now they're under the MLB draft league umbrella. So I'm just as curious as you to see how the dust all settles, because one of the things that I am most skeptical of that major league baseball said in its announcement was that for every team losing its affiliation, they will make sure that there is still quality baseball being played in that market the following year and I I just I I wish I could be more confident in saying that the Trenton Thunder will be able to employ the same number of front office staff and have the same number of fans turn out for the MLB draft league than they would for being the double-a affiliate of the New York Yankees and uh, I would love to be proven wrong but I am wholly skeptical that that's the case and that it's not going to have real life impact on some of my former coworkers, people that I'm still friendly with and the community at large, that there aren't going to be the same number of games, same quality of competition. And therefore the product in the stadium is not going to be the same enjoyable product for fans to no fault of the Trenton Thunder's own, just for the fault of their budget has to look totally different this year based on um, something that was out of their control. That was dictated by major league baseball. Talking with Adam Giardino voice for the Yankees AAA affiliate I want to talk about the two recent trades that the Yankees have just made, which did involve a couple of some big AAA prospects. Uh, first, Jamison Tyon. The Yankees get him from the Pirates. They give up Miguel Yahure in a trade. Then you have yesterday the trade of Adam Adovino to the Red Sox along with Frank Herman. Talk about these two prospects in particular, Yahure and Herman, and the imp- are they going to have an immediate impact in these two trades? Uh, did the Yankees maybe give up a little bit too much? From- so, Herman, yeah. So, I mean, Herman, obviously, that was just to sweeten the deal uh, to basically coax the Red Sox into taking on some more salary, some of the salary of Ottavino. So, um, I don't think that that is going to – I don't think that we, as baseball fans, are going to look back on 
Herman leaving the organization and thinking, oh, man, that was not only did the Red Sox get a year of good quality bullpen arm out of out of Vino, they also got this guy who proved to be a, a quality big leaguer. Um, it's the other trade that really is uh, most interesting to me. I'll, I'll get to Miguel Yahore, and you did a tremendous job pronouncing his name. That is oh, uh, that is great work on you. you. And uh, yeah, uh, it's Y-A-J-U-R-E for everyone who is listening. So before we ever figured out how to pronounce Miguel Yahore, uh, when we were reading about him in low A and he was making his way up through the system, we figured we don't know how to say this. So we just kept calling him Mickey Yeager, knowing that that was definitely not the pronunciation. Uh, so the... Uh, so Miguel, he's, I guess we'll start with Miguel. There's another piece in there, Kanan Smith, who's also uh, someone that shouldn't, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be lost in all this. But certainly for uh, Miguel, he, he led all of minor league baseball and earned run average, and he did it bursting onto the radar. And uh, I, I have talked to a lot of scouts, and we didn't get to see much out of uh, Miguel as 2019 came to a close, but – what I was talking to scouts about with him was whether this was uh, legit in terms of, you know, guys, guys put up numbers in the Florida state league. It's uh, it's a league filled with ballparks that have just massive spring training size ballparks. So single a players aren't hitting home runs off of you, right? They're flying out to the warning track. So there's, there can often be deceptive pitching numbers in, um, in high a in Tampa where, Yahure was pitching and so they said no this was this is a guy that none of us had on our radars this is a guy that is putting up great numbers and he is for real and so you know he is the the centerpiece of that Jameson Tyone deal and that you know you're not going to get that guy for nothing and so is there risk involved with that yes but for the New York Yankees right now they've got uh they've got David Garcia they've got Michael King they're able to add Jameson Tyone who pencils in somewhere in the the three four maybe if he pitches to his potential he's a two for them so you're you're basically giving up a guy that projects to the back end of your rotation and what you know is an abundance of riches they've got another guy Albert Abreu who pitched some last year Davey Garcia again is is the jewel of that that system and showed why at times last year in the big leagues so there's uh I mean, it, is Yahore a good prospect? Yes, absolutely. Should Yankees fans lose sleep over the fact that he could pan out to be a good big leaguer? Only in the sense that, yes, on paper, it wouldn't. It might look like they gave up a, a good piece someday, but in the sense that where would he fit right now? I mean, he's the eighth starter in this year's rotation. So um, I think it was a great trade. And then Kanan Smith is just a guy that rates out uh, a little off the radar and last year put it all together in Charleston where he ranks as the best hitter for average in the Yankees system. So, you know, again, uh, will a guy who ranks as a, a hit for average guy ever crack the Yankees outfield? I, I don't think so. I mean, I just don't think, you know, we're seeing as hard as it, as it is for Clint Frazier to get his time for the Yankees that, uh, you know, and Clint Frazier is a premier prospect so the Yankees are always going to be able to go out and buy some outfielders if they really want to if they're not developing an inside so Kanan Smith's the other name that again Yankees fans shouldn't regret having given him up but a name that a couple years from now you might hear it and go huh where did I hear that before when he's playing corner outfield uh, for the Pittsburgh Pirates 
talking with Adam, Giar- Adam Giardino. He is the voice of the Yankees AAA affiliate. One last question, because you're probably going to give us the most honest answer that we're ever going to get to this. <laughs> I can't wait. Go to right. your crystal you, you ball. Go to, Let's your, do this. go to your crystal ball, right? Yeah. Let's make your prediction. The fate of the minor leagues in 2021 and beyond, and you brought up suffering of the minor league product. How long will it be until the changes that you foresee taking place in your crystal ball of the future of the minor leagues affect the talent and the gameplay level of the major league level game that we all watch and enjoy today? I think it's going to be five, five years, four or five years. And it's not to say that there won't be superstars and it might not be noticeable because right. It's, it's the, the old adage of you, you don't know what you've never had. And uh, you don't know which guy went out and, you know, right. Like, in this past draft, there were only five rounds. And obviously that had to do with coronavirus and college baseball being postponed. And, but that's where it starts. And so guys that get drafted out of college and high school, they take three, four, five years to get to the big leagues. And so this is the tip of the iceberg. There aren't going to be 40 rounds in the draft moving forward. There certainly aren't going to be five. There'll be more than that. But it's once we start seeing the condensing of the draft where guys that just aren't able to make their way to the big leagues, um, yeah, I, it's an interesting question because I am so wholly confident to say that there are countless big leaguers. You know, I'd love to go and I'd love to look at the Major League All-Star Game rosters the last couple of years and figure out where guys had been drafted and to see, oh, maybe they wouldn't have even been drafted. You know, they would have had to start their careers in indie ball before eventually getting to the big leagues. So we're not going to know who we never get to come to know and love, um, but it's it's just there's no doubt in my mind that baseball is a sport that once you hit the professional ranks that the cream rises to the top i've seen so many guys go from single a to double a in my time in trenton and guys could hit 280 down in single a and then they face a 91 mile an hour slider for the first time and they hit 200 and they just can't they can never figure it out i mean there are just so many there's so many levels to baseball because there are so many new things to learn along the way um, you don't graduate high school by knowing how to hit a 90 mile an hour slider. You just don't. And uh, some guys can learn it. Some guys can't. And that's how they get weeded out and route to the big leagues. So, yeah, I know that's a, that is the most honest answer I can give you. I think the timeline is four or five years. Well, I think that we'll necessarily notice it. No, but I, I know in my heart that we are going to miss out on countless all-stars because of major league baseball trying to, make a a larger profit year over year by shaving down their minor league systems. I'll finish it on this note. Is the, have the minor leagues up to this point talked about maybe games coming for 2021 or it's still kind of up in the air. It's got to be still up in the air. And again, I think the most promising report is that when major league baseball spring training starts, triple a spring training will be coinciding that they'll get all those players involved. So you know, selfishly is one of the 30 part of one of the 30 triple a teams. I feel confident that triple a will, you know, last year they had, uh, they had those alternate training sites where PNC field and music was one of those sites, but, uh, will, will that mean that the Yankees will sign off on allowing 
the rail riders to go travel to Lehigh Valley and play the Phillies, AAA, the Iron Pigs? I, I don't know. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that the answer is yes. I'm optimistic that with each passing day that the urgency in this country to roll out vaccines will continue to grow. And uh, at, at, at a certain point, spring training, you know, we're talking April and May that that all those players will get vaccinated and that we'll, we'll be moving on because, you know, we know the ambitions of getting, as we record this, 100 vaccines in 100 days, fingers crossed it's at least that, fingers crossed it's more than that, and that we keep rolling out to get all 300-plus million people in this country vaccinated so that baseball and the like, especially minor league baseball, can return healthy and safely. And then we could actually have real life again. That would be wonderful. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? Absolutely. I know. Like, I would love to actually be able to, like, go and see you call a game every once in a while again. You know, <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? I think we'll see uh, that very soon. Adam Giardino, voice of the New York Yankees, AAA affiliate, the Scranton Rail Riders. Thank you so much, Adam, for taking some time. It's been a good while. And uh, best of luck. Hope, hope baseball and the minors come back very, very soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, right. Adam, so much. When we come back, our NBA top 10 and our analysis of the AFC and NFC championship games right after this. And we're back on Downtown Sports. I'm Jonathan Perriente, the Beast of the East, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. want to thank Adam Giardino for joining us on the first part of our show. Before we dive in to our NBA Top 10, Mouth, where can our listeners hear us? Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes. I think that's 12? It is 12. 12 different platforms oh. with rants and interviews and shows and... Yeah, we're downtown sports. We are where sports come home. And it's time for our NBA Top 10. I wonder what this is going to look like because these have not been as consistent as the NFL Top 10s so far. I think I've disagreed with about half of each list. Well, things have definitely been jumbled around a little bit on this one compared to the last. So, basically, they're just throwing darts at teams and deciding who's the top ten, right? Mm, no, I think Chris put some thought into this one. I think he put a little thought into this into this uh, top ten in particular. Let's so see what kind of thought he put into it. All right. Let's begin with our number ten team on the top ten. It's the Atlanta Hawks. Nine and eight, sixth in the Eastern Conference. Hawks have been picking it up of late after a slow start. <clears throat> You see Trey Young really starting to pick up his play and having Colin, having Zach Collins and having Rajon Rondo have really allowed the Atlanta Hawks to kind of begin to gel as a team. I know 9-8 is not something to jump about yet, but the fact that they're sixth in the Eastern Conference and maybe starting to get on a run, that's pretty big. I mean, okay, show me. Show me more. Kind of like how I feel about the Knicks. Show me more. Show me more because we'll just have honestly, to see what happens. Yeah, honestly, I don't see Atlanta doing yeah, we will much. Just have it's very early in the season. I don't see them, you know, getting into a situation where they're actually really going to be competing for any sort of playoff spot. 
Uh, I just don't see that. So we'll see if they can keep it up next. All right. Let's go to the next part. Number nine on our top ten, the Memphis Grizzlies, seven and six, sixth in the Western Conference. John Morant is back in the lineup after he was out for a few weeks. And with Dylan Brooks beginning to emerge as a star, and you have Jonas Valanciunas, the Grizzlies are going to slowly begin to rebuild where they were. Before I mean, the-, the Grizzlies are in a better position than they've been in in years, truthfully. They've made the playoffs every single year during a rebuild, and now you've got a situation where they've amassed a couple of veterans and they got a couple of young stars, and Moran is honestly the guy I wish the Knicks would have drafted. But, you know... Unfortunately, we got to pick third after having the worst record in the NBA, so we get R.J. Barrett. But eh, I'm not unhappy with R.J. Barrett. I just know John Morant would have done the Knicks a lot better. And you're seeing it pay off. It Look, again, the Knicks are a young team. I get it. It's going to take time until they get it together. Unfortunately, they had a very rough West Coast trip, and uh, we're about to get to a few of those teams that they played on that West Coast trip. In fact, one of them is next right now. Ooh, what is it? The number eight seed on our top ten are the Portland Trailblazers. Ooh, Melo had fun that game. <laughs> well, Melo did. You know, he, he did score. I'm not saying he didn't. But uh, Lillard, of course, uh, really burned the Knicks with over 35 points. Oh, of course he did. Particular. But I'm just saying, Melo had fun. Melo must have enjoyed, enjoyed being a part of the Blazers during that game. I give the Knicks credit. They actually, they actually did give the Blazers a, a fight and only ended up losing by three couple of rough calls at the end, uh, which were really unfortunate. But the Blazers are 9-7. and seven. They're fifth in the Western Conference. And you're still kind of waiting for when the Blazers could get on a real roll here. And it's getting close, I think. If you, you give Damian Lillard time, you give Melo the space, you have McCollum if he's back in the lineup. This lineup is three times more dangerous. Covington, it's a very, very dangerous club. When this is a team. Up, that can pick off that can pick off both LAs if everything goes right. This is a team that could make some noise in the playoffs. They have a great mix of veterans. Lillard is a star. Lillard is a top five player in the NBA. I mean, the Blazers are set. They have all the pieces that they can possibly acquire to win a championship right now. I mean, this is the best that they've looked. And we'll see if it continues. Number seven on our top ten, the Denver Nuggets, 10-7, and seven, fourth in the Western Conference, ninth in the league in defense, and they are in the top ten in points scored. Um, anybody else look at the Nuggets and see the new Golden State Warriors? Because I do. They've been playing like Golden State for years, maybe just like on a couple of rungs lower. But the same style of basketball overall, defend well, and get fast breaks and get points and get open threes and shoot the hell out of the basketball, and they can. So, I mean, they play a very aggressive style of basketball. This is also a team that can pick off in L.A. Definitely true. I'm going to be curious if the Nuggets, again, if Jamal Murray continues to pick up his game like he has and he continues to play at the level that he does, I think you're going to see a very game and very dangerous Nuggets team. And again, Jokic, when he gets going, when you have Murray and him healthy, Michael Porter Jr., when he returns, the Nuggets will be dangerous. 
it's still 17 games in, but they're going to be dangerous. I mean, they were dangerous. They've been dangerous uh, for the past couple of years now. And now they've got a couple of years of playoff experience. And now they have to take that next step. They can't do. can't go as deep as they can now. That's I mean, game. you know what? Teams like the Blazers and the Nuggets must feel like teams like the Pacers and the Knicks of the 90s when the Bulls were dominating. You get this close. Conference. You get this close, but you can't get to the top. It's a tough. It's yeah, it is. It's it a very competitive Western Conference, and a lot of these Western Conference teams, if they were transplanted to the East, would be number one seeded right now. And Let's go to our next team on the top ten. And this is a team that's fallen a little bit. The Milwaukee Bucks are now number six on our top ten. And just a week ago, John, they were number two on our top ten. Mm-hmm. They were about to take on the Lakers. Mm-hmm. The Lakers came in and beat them. Mm-hmm. And now the Bucks seem to have kind of fallen down a little bit since that mm-hmm. loss. Mm-hmm. Here they are, 10 and six, third in the Eastern Conference. And you saw Bucks it again. Are... No depth on this Bucks team. It's Giannis or die. So – so every Brooklyn Net fan should feel very happy watching that because here's the thing. As long as the Nets make the playoffs, they'll go deep. Because you can't argue with the experience that Durant, Irving, and Harden all have. I mean, Harden's looking for his first title, but Durant and Irving both have championships under their belt. That's something Giannis doesn't have. Um, so, I mean, will the Nets be – a Will they be even a top five team in the end of the regular season? Who knows? But when they get into the postseason, that's when that team's going to start to cook. And if Giannis can't cook against the Lakers in the regular year. This is a glaring problem. A very glaring problem. Because while everybody in Milwaukee might want to, you know, make stars out of Giannis's role players, guess what? They're role players. And there weren't stars for a reason before they came to Milwaukee and before they played with Giannis. Let's move on to our number five team on the top 10. And you just mentioned them. The Brooklyn Nets are number five, 10 and eight, fifth in the Eastern conference. And I think now you're beginning slowly, but I think surely you're beginning to see the Nets finally, maybe beginning to put it a little bit together now since the Durant, since the Harden trade. I think now you're starting to see what the big three can really do when they play together. I just got to hope and pray that Kyrie doesn't go off and do something else again or get emotionally, you know, whatever. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, you know, oh, people, you know, have to constantly do everything despite what's going on personally, whatever. Kyrie has a right to his personal life. And honestly, we as the media really kind of hit that wrong we were all trying to find scandal and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, the Nets just played it close to the best. I feel that they knew what was going on with Kyrie the whole time and we didn't have to know. And that's how they decided to deal with it. So anybody can make as many stories as they want. At the end of the day, Kyrie Irving is back at the team and looked at the results. And, uh, and the Nets beat two good teams on that stretch. They beat the heat and they beat the bucks. Very important wins they needed to have. Yes, they did. They needed to prove that they were dominant against the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they have. The only thing they need to do is go out there and beat Boston in a rousing um, victory sort of way, and they need to do better against teams that they should be literally mopping the floor with. But the next, Here's the next little trick for the Nets now. Their next 
10 of their next 13 games are on the road. And it begins with Atlanta. You and see, that's going to have to go through a little bit of a gauntlet to get themselves kind of back and to get themselves at the very top of the Eastern Conference. Not I saying mean, it can be done. No, it's not that it can't be done. But here's the thing. How well are they going to play defense? Because that's been the big problem with this big three in particular. Because wherever they've went, all three of them have shown defense that they can be defensive liabilities unless they want to play defense. Well, look at Harden. He's been reunited with Mike D'Antoni. Just look at it that way. Remember how D'Antoni's system worked. Yep. Score about 130 points, but you give up about as many as what you score. You're seeing the same problem again with the Nets with Nash. It's no different than what it was in Phoenix. Yeah, the Nets are going to be contenders, but as much as they score 130 points, they give up 130 points at the same time. That is true. Because here's the thing, the next drive pace of play, and it's their conditioning that's really going to determine how far they go. The Nets run like a Paul Westoff offense with threes. It's different than what you're seeing in Golden State. It's not the triangle. It's not any of this other nonsense. It's basically a Paul Westoff, let's run the ball up and down the court and take a whole bunch of open-look threes while the other team is sucking wind on the bench. That's what you're getting. The Nets, at this point, if you look at the players that remain, the one thing that you see that Sean Marks has built is a team that is remarkably well-conditioned aside from Kyrie Irving but it will be up to the Nets to see if they can keep that conditioning going. And they again, this 10, 13, this 10 games out of 13 on the road, it's going to be a very big test. Also, good luck with uh, Durant's Achilles holding up and, um, you know, running a system like that, having to constantly run up and down the floor. I mean, I hope he can play 40 minutes every single night and not blow out his Achilles and you lose him for two years again because of the style of offense you play. You see, this move for the Nets for Harden means that they must win a title this year. They've now put themselves on finals victory or bust. Talent-wise, on paper, they are better than the Los Angeles Lakers. They are better than the Los Angeles Clippers. And if they don't win a title with this big three, this is the best big three we've seen ever. Well, they better. This be- is better than Wade Bosch and LeBron. Then they better Straight not blow up. Then they better not blow this opportunity. That window will close. And that's the point. It's the personality of Kyrie that I'm worried about. Not that he's a bad player or bad person. It's just, you know, he can't go on another five-game stretch where he just, you know, decides he isn't, uh, you know, feeling like playing right now. That's not going to work for the Nets. Moving on to number four of our top ten, and we briefly talked about this team with three. Well, this is one of the teams that lead the league in threes, and the Knicks learned it the hard way last night. The Utah Jazz, number four on our, on our top ten. Would you believe – the Jazz have won eight in a row. And you know who their last loss was to? The Knicks. There you go. Their last loss. And this Utah Jazz team, the sad part is Donovan Mitchell barely played a factor in last night's game. He wasn't, he wasn't dominating the game in any way. And the Jazz still blew the Knicks away by 17. Well, here's the thing. That Jazz team is stacked. They're deep. Both units can go. The first and the second unit can go. The Jazz's second unit, I put against a lot of first units in the NBA. So it's not shocking that they're playing this well. I mean, the only reason I don't get super hype about 
the Jazz or teams like the Nuggets, especially in the Western Conference, is because I'm sorry, in a seven-game series, there really is just a difference between the top two teams and everybody else in that conference straight away. Yeah. The Jazz are going to be – if the Jazz are capable of doing this with the way they shut teams down on defense, and now you have Donovan Mitchell kind of really coming into his own as a star, I'm telling you guys, the Jazz are going to be a team that they're probably going to be one of the hardest outs in the Western Conference, and – I will not be surprised if they if they go all the way, maybe, at some point. It depends. It, there might be an out, though. You see, here's the thing. Our top two teams, which I'm sure I know who they are, are just that much better than the rest of the conference, even the Jazz or the Nuggets, and they could have all these wonderful flurries. But at the end of the day, when you're up against Kawhi and Paul George or you're up against LeBron and Anthony Davis, it's just a different animal when they're in the playoffs. So next, number three. Number three in our top ten, the Philadelphia 76ers, 12-6, and six, number one in the Eastern Conference. And you just love the way the Sixers have played in this short amount of time under Doc Rivers. It's pretty incredible what a coaching change does. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you have a coach that actually takes accountability, that actually holds his players accountable. You know, that now leads the league 27.7 points per game. MVP ended it. Doc Rivers. Top five in points scored. And Doc Rivers. They've really reeled off some incredible wins, beating the Celtics two times, beating some of the lower end teams. But those are games you have to win at the end of the day. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Now they're going to play LA on Wednesday on ESPN, and that will be very interesting followed by the Pacers on Sunday. So they're going to have some big – they're going to have a couple of big games coming up to really see what the Lakers are – if it's uh, – I believe – I don't know if it's the Lakers or the Clippers. I forgot which L.A. team it is that they have coming up. Mm-hmm. But seeing that it's against two pretty tough teams, them and the Pacers, this is a good test to see where the Sixers are 18 games in. Yeah, let me tell you who Doc Rivers is. Doc mm-hmm. Rivers, if – you're a baseball fan, you know, you're, an, you're not necessarily a huge NBA fan. Let me equate Doc Rivers to you. Doc Rivers is Buck Showalter. Doc Rivers is Terry Francona. He is that old school style mentality type of coach that demands accountability from his players. He is the same type of coach as Thibodeau, not that generation, obviously the generation after Tom Thibodeau, but he it, let's just say if he didn't learn directly from Thibodeau how to coach, he definitely took a lot of pointers from the way that he coached teams that he's coached in the past. So there's a lot of accountability happening on the 76ers for the first time in years. It's no longer romper room like it's been under Coach Brown and the system where we were just drafting kids and developing them and just trying to keep them happy and in the organization until they got enough players to maybe make the playoffs. This is a different mentality, 76ers team. They're going to be playing the Lakers tonight. That's going to be their tough game tonight. Can they beat LeBron? Yes. Find that out. Yes. They can. Are they disciplined enough? We'll see. Number two on our top 10. The Los Angeles Clippers, 13-4, and four, number two in the Western Conference. They have won seven games in a row. And even though Paul George has not been as explosive of late as usual, Kawhi Leonard averaging 29 points per game, Nicholas Batum 
has started to wake up. This that's Clippers why, team is deadly. That's why Kawhi is the number one option on that team and not Paul George. Paul George is not a viable number one option. He's a great number two option, a good sidekick to go along with a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James or something like that. But Paul George can't have his own team because he goes on too many of these stretches where, you know, he, he won't play well for a couple of games here and there. He needs somebody to bounce off of and work with. Kawhi is the thing that makes the Clippers go. He is their LeBron James. He is their Michael Jordan. He is their Kobe Bryant. Kawhi is on that type of level. I'm not saying Paul George isn't a great player. He is. Kawhi is that generational type. He already proved it in Toronto. That should let that sink in. That's where he proved it. In and in San Antonio. Yeah, but Toronto's where he Learning had, under the great Tim Duncan. But Toronto's where he really had to lead the way. Yeah. That's a big difference. Number one on our top ten, and it, it should really come as no surprise, it's the Los Angeles Lakers. Number one in the Western Conference, 14-4, best record in the NBA. And they will take on, tonight, the 76ers. And like I said, this is a game that they could lose. And I think that's a series that they could lose as well. Doc Rivers has these guys coached up. I think the 76ers are on that echelon of teams that could win a title. I'd say the teams that have the best chance to win, hands down, I would say the Lakers would be my top pick. The Clippers would be number two. The Sixers would be number three. The Nets would be number four. And the Utah Jazz would be number five. That would be my top five to win a title this year. And we just might see it. Depending how everything's going to go, depending how things will stack up. And we're only – we're not even about a quarter of the way through the season. And we're it's exciting as hell, isn't it? It really is. Because let me tell you, there is so much parity between seeds three and eight in both conferences that it's scary. And by the way, the Eastern Conference number one seed is not safe. No. You see how tight it is in, uh, at the top of the East and at the top of the West. Lakers and Clippers right there. You have the rest of the East right there. This is going to be a fight, ladies and gentlemen. We're only just beginning. We're not even 20 games in, and we're just beginning a potential run here. But do you know what? We have to talk about the end of something. Yes. When we come back, the end of the NFC and AFC conference seasons, we will discuss the championship games and get you slightly set up for the Super Bowl back after this. And we're back to downtown sports on the mouth of the South. John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. We got 15 minutes left. It's time for a five, five, and five. We got three subjects to tackle in 15 minutes. We've got to go over the AFC Championship game, the NFC Championship game, and preview the Super Bowl. Beast, where can they hear us? We're on 12 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, and Listen Notes. 12 different websites, Tuesday, Wednesday, Rants, live episodes every single week. We are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. 
Get that clock ready, beast. I want that. I, I need to see that clock. Where's that clock? It's right here. All right. We're going to begin with our analysis of the AFC Championship game. Start the clock. Five minutes. Okay. So let's begin. Wow, the Bills crapped the bed. They crapped the bed so bad they crapped the bed. Crap, 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 crap the bed. That's what the Bills did. Pooped all over the sheets. Made the mattress unusable. He just bought a brand new mattress. It was called Bills Mafia, and now it's in the trash. Well, the Bills took the lead early. I mean, the Bills took it to Kansas City in the beginning. and You mean Patrick Kansas City dropped one pass and then scored touchdowns the rest of the game? Well, that's what you have to do to beat Kansas City. You're going to have to keep scoring when they, when they do, and you have to stop them when you can. That's how it works with Kansas City. If you can't do that, you're going to lose. Well, it doesn't work with Kansas City. This is why they won. Look at Spagnola. Look at that defense. Look at the way – it wasn't even Pat Mahomes that won that game. It was the defense. It was the defense. Unbelievable. The Bills couldn't run. They couldn't get a deep pass off. When were the Bills ever able to run? When were the Bills ever able to run? Never. At least Josh Allen was able to rip off a few runs here and there usually, but that's – That's kind of sad. That's kind of sad when when your quarterback is the one running for about 80 yards. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson doesn't do that. Fine. But Lamar Jackson, we always knew, can run. Allen was supposed to be less of the runner this year, right? That was what he was supposed to do. Well, he had to run for his life. Yeah, Allen ran for 88 yards. Yeah, everybody he had to else literally run away from the rush. Singletary, 17 yards rushing. Yeldon, 15 yards rushing. McKenzie, nine yards rushing. Disgusting. Yeah, I said it when I picked the Bills. I thought that they would be able to do two things. One, I thought they'd be able to maybe figure out the running game against the weaker Kansas City defense. And two, I thought they'd be able to put a stop to Edwards Hilaire and uh, sort of did. And, uh, you know, but but Williams went off. It barely ran the ball with Hilaire at all. Yeah. Williams did all the the handy, the heavy load. And then you had Hardman with a 50 yard run. And then everything was screens, five yard dink and dunk things from Mahomes and average 8.6 yards per pass attempt. He didn't even average 10 yards a pass. That's scary. So, even if you don't have a running game, you got a running game without needing a running game. The Bills should perhaps take a look at this and, uh, you know, morph their offensive schemes to do that. Either that or uh, Alfred Morris. Buffalo Buffalo is going to have a lot of things to think about this offseason. You know, okay. First, I'm I'm happy about a couple things if you're Buffalo. Okay. I'm happy that Stephon Diggs stood up, was the last one on the field watching the celebration because that. Imagine being Stefan Diggs right now. That you're the league in receiving yards. You did everything you're supposed to, and you don't get to the Super Bowl. That was everything you wanted to see out of him because he was looking at that and saying to himself, I will never let this happen again. And- the Buffalo Bills are not going away. They're running back away from being good. So... It doesn't necessarily matter where they pick in round one. They're going to have their pick of the litter of stellar young running backs, which teams are too afraid to take in the first round. 
Well, running backs usually very easy to get in a draft. They're never the problem always to, with a draft. It's when you it's looking for the quarterback. It's looking for that wide receiver maybe here and there. Well, they need running a, back is the last piece you add when you're ready to win a championship. Yeah. The Bills are there. at that point where I think they could even draft a first-round talent-level running back, not have it hurt the depth of their team. And that would actually help them put them over the top because – Instead of Josh Allen just running constant play action, he'd be able to actually have a threat to hand the ball off to. That would put Buffalo over the top. But we'll see what they do. I think it's fair to say, and we'll finish it with this on, on this note with Buffalo, their future's bright. You saw it. You saw how Buffalo went out there. You see the kind of leader Josh Allen is. He has improved leaps and bounds from where he was two years ago. This Buffalo Bills team, ladies and gentlemen, is for real, and they're certainly going to be back. They have a lot of talent ahead of them. It's and now they got a very, very, very bitter taste in their mouth. Yep. Almost how Kansas City felt. But you know who had it even worse as we now move on to the NFC title game? You imagine how Green Bay is feeling after their loss in the championship game? Can you imagine you see, that? Where we describe Buffalo as a place of hope, the frozen tundra seems to be a place of lost dreams because what the Green Bay Packers did in that game was literally lay an egg. Well, didn't help that their defense struggled in the first half. Didn't help that they got burned on a last-minute touchdown to Scotty Miller in the second quarter. That didn't help things. Nope. And then it didn't help that Aaron Jones fumbled on the first drive of the second half. They fell behind 28-10. Yeah, the Packers did rally. It doesn't help when Devontae Adams drops wide open passes and Aaron Rodgers misses wide open receivers in the end zone with no one around them. Look, Aaron Rodgers was the MVP this year, but Todd Bowles came up with such a defensive scheme to beat Aaron Rodgers. And even though the score was close, did you ever feel for a second that Tampa didn't have this in hand? I felt was there it were ever in attempts. doubt. I felt there were several attempts where Tampa Bay was trying to throw the game away. Tom Brady threw three interceptions, right? Yep. You know how uh, rare. Well, hold on, hold on. Do that. Two of them were on tip balls. One was on a tip, yes. But then two were these absolute lollipops that he threw up in the air. Well, the other, but the other one was tipped at the line. Fair. Yes, he did have one tip. Yes. So there was two. No, there was one tipped at the line, and there was one literally tipped off of his receiver's hands. And then the other one, he threw like a lollipop. Yeah, the, the other one was just a terrible pick. Yeah. But you saw he was setting up the Packers to beat him. The Packers had their chances. Two Brady interceptions, and Green Bay goes three and out. Because Todd Bowles, for some reason, has Aaron Rodgers' number. We saw it in week six, and what we saw was more of the same. Yeah, the Packers put up a much better fight this time. Did. But do you know what? I did not feel at any point in that game that it was in danger for Brady. Mm -hmm. You just had this feeling watching that game that there was 
just something that wasn't going to fall the Packers' way. You had no Antonio Brown in this game. That was one big weapon gone that was not playing. And you missed him because uh, Evans was well covered. And Fournette and Jones didn't do the job. uh, Green Bay stopped the Tampa's running game. They literally held Brady to barely a 50% completion percentage, only eight yards per play. And Brady still beat them. Well, here's a decision that killed Green Bay at the end, and I, I think you know where I'm, I'm going with this. Uh, all right, Tampa Bay kicks the field goal. It was 31-23, right? Mm-hmm. Green Bay's moving down the field. They get to the Bucks' eight-yard line. Let's go to the third and goal. Uh, that was like the big play for me before that fourth and goal. The third and goal was big. Why Rodgers, and you saw it on TV as I did, Rodgers could have ran that ball in from eight yards out. And he decided to throw into tight traffic. Thankfully, it was an incomplete pass. But then you saw what happened on fourth and goal. Matt LaFleur didn't give Rodgers a chance to try to do it on fourth down. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because he just witnessed Aaron Rodgers pass up a wide-open freaking running lane for the end zone. And you just everybody's getting on the floor about why didn't they let the Packers go for it on fourth down? I'll give you the answer because Aaron Rodgers had a clear path. It was like uh, it, it was like the yellow brick road. Easily, you could have skipped that. I could have scored that touchdown. But this is Aaron Rodgers. My this badass the game. scored that touchdown, John. You put the ball in his hands. Who knows if you were going to get the ball back? Yeah, of course, yeah. You put the ball in his hands. Yeah, he had the ball in his hands at third down, and he had a wide-open running lane. What are you doing? And do? we just give it up on fourth down? We just say, up. Oh, we're not going for it on fourth down because, oh, we'll get the ball back. The quarterback could have had the touchdown on third down and passed it up. Missed opportunity. Last five minutes. Let's get into the Super Bowl. Yeah, missed opportunities for Green Bay. So now the and state welcome is to more that- missed opportunities because the Super Bowl, oh, this is going to be a missed opportunity, and I feel bad for quite a number of parties involved in this game. So once again, Tom Brady will be making his 10th appearance in a Super Bowl. Do you believe that? 10 appearances in a Super Bowl. Anybody that says he's not the greatest, it's the greatest quarterback that's ever played, maybe get your head examined. People might say he's the greatest in the league because you know the referees seem to always uh, seems like the refs always set it up for him to get there every year. But that's well, always- yeah. But I mean, do they said the same about Joe Montana? They said the same about Terry Bradshaw. Troy Aikman got every call. So did Steve Young, and uh, who who else got every call? Not Eli Manning. He de- he never got the calls, not at all. Um, but anyway. Let's move on to this, the Super Bowl. Peyton got all the calls, too. Remember yeah. that. All right. But now let's look at the stage that's set before us right now. Mm-hmm. Very much a changing of the guard game. Tom Brady, 43 years old, already has built a dynasty of six Super Bowls. Could be going for his seventh. Patrick Mahomes just won a Super Bowl last year. He's looking to go back-to-back. First time to do that since Tom Brady of New England did it. Except Tom Brady has nightmares. Right but now, now – Let's go back. Patrick Mahomes has done everything imaginable so far in his short career that you can imagine. He's won a Super Bowl. He's gotten his team here. He's a leader on the team. Great. MVP in one both thing the Super he never Bowl did. and the regular season. There's one, there's one small little thing he has to accomplish in the playoffs. 
that he hasn't done. Mm-hmm. Beat Tom Brady. I got, I got, I got one though. Ready for this one? Please. <clears throat> there is one thing that Tom Brady has not done in the playoffs. Of all the things that he's done, all the accomplishments, mm-hmm. he's zero two. Zero two. Who's the defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs? He wants to beat Spagnolo. Or is he having nightmares about Spagnolo because Spagnola for years has had Tom Brady's number? For years he's known how to stop Tom Brady. By the way, Spagnola also has a very good track record against Arians on offenses as well. Yeah. Remember, remember Arizona. Remember those games when the Giants played that team. Um, also remember, I believe Rams teams defensively did very well against Bruce Arians run teams when Spags was the coach. So Spags has a very good track record against both this quarterback and this head coach. That's not a recipe for a a glorious return to the Super Bowl for Tom Brady. Uh. Do you not think Patrick Mahomes has not been thinking about that conference game loss a couple years ago? Go back to 2019. Remember that game? Mm-hmm. Did everything right. Didn't turn over the ball, and still lost to Brady. Because still lost. He's Brady, and I'm not sure how to put this, but I can't pick this game yet because there's a few things that need to develop. A, we need to see how well Mahomes is recovering from that ankle. He looked pretty good. He didn't look he didn't look like he was phased by an injury at all. He looked as sharp as he's looked all year. That Tampa defense is ball hawking though, and Bowles has them playing like gangbusters. I can't pick this game yet, John, because here's the thing. I need to know if Antonio Brown's coming back. He will. I need to know the health status of Mike Evans. I need to know where um, how Jones and Fournette are coming along. They're both a little banged up. I also need to know how Mahomes' ankle's doing. I need to see what's going on with Kelsey. Is he still a little banged up? Is he recovering? Well, There's a lot of factors that are going into this game, but I'll give you a preliminary real quick. Here's the one thing I will predict. I predict that we are going to see the best showdown of quarterbacks that we've ever seen in the Super Bowl. This will not happen again. Also, I predict that you'll never see Mahomes Brady again. And next week, you'll find out where I think this game's going to go. That little bit of a cliffhanger, aren't we, Beast? Yeah, it's still hard to decide. Now, there will be some... A few players we already know that will play. Antonio Brown will play in the Super Bowl after he sat out the championship game. Le'Veon Bell is going to be back as well. Possibly Sammy Watkins will be back for Kansas City as well. So another weapon Mahomes can throw the football to. So both teams are going to basically be back at pretty much full power. 
We'll see what happens, but this is the stage is going to be set for a very classic Super Bowl 55. It will be the first time the home team is actually hosting a Super Bowl. What is that? Isn't that incredible? And you're going to have it in their home stadium playing in the Super Bowl on their turf. And that's and who's the quarterback? Tom Brady. 43 years old. <clears throat> Over 20 years in this business. Generally, when you're talking about sports and you say you've been in the business for about 20 years, you're talking about broadcasters, coaches, not quarterbacks. Definitely not NFL players. When was the last time you heard of an NFL player? When was the last time you heard of a Major League Baseball player playing the 43 besides like Julio Franco or something? Hank Aaron, Aside from the that. Late, the, late Hank, the late Hank Aaron played well over 20 years. And I, I do want to end the show on that note. Yes. Baseball lost a great in Hank Aaron. And we want to say to his family, rest in peace and thank you for all the great work that Hank Aaron did after his baseball career. Because in his baseball career, he brokered tolerance through his play. Afterwards, he brokered tolerance through all of his civil rights work and all of his humanitarian work that he did. He was one of the greatest men that the game of baseball, not Major League Baseball, but the game of baseball, remember, there's baseball outside of MLB, has ever produced. Rest in peace to him. Also, a very sad announcement. There was a young broadcaster from NBA TV who passed away from coronavirus. Yes. Sekou Smith. He was on his way to being one of those legendary type of broadcasters that was going to have a Hall of Fame type career in the NBA, calling NBA games and died of coronavirus. So this virus is still very real. That will conclude this edition of Downtown Sports. I want to thank our guests, Adam Giardino, for joining us, Chris, for our top 10 for the NBA. A very wild week. It's been in the sports world, and just two weeks away, Super Bowl 55. Who will take home the Vince Lombardi trophy? Could we see a rewind, maybe a dynasty reborn again? Or are we going to see the birth of the new blood? We'll find out on Super Bowl Sunday, but you'll find out next week because we're going to tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl on a special downtown sports super bowl edition digital market battles edition called the prediction show check for that next week along with our regular episode we are heard on 12 different platforms we're on anchor breaker spotify radio public overcast pocket cast google podcasts apple podcasts Castbox, bullhorn pod bay and listen notes 12 different platforms so you can listen to us tuesday wednesday rants episodes every single week We are downtown sports. We are where sports come home. For the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. For our man, Mr. Statistician, Krista Large. For our researcher, Tony Mainville. This is the East of the East, Jonathan Perriente, saying goodbye. We out.